Hello and welcome. A short message before this week's podcast. I just wanted to have a quiet word. We reached an amazing milestone this week. Ours is now a six-figure download podcast. It's astonishing. Downloads in the United States, in Australia, the UK, Spain, South America, Canada, Vietnam, Africa, Central and Western Europe, all around the world. And I'm most grateful and humbled. I made a decision early last year not to put ads in my podcasts. The accepted business model, if you like, includes advertising, but I just felt it wasn't in the spirit of the Camino. Until now, if you'll indulge me. My song, Somewhere Along the Way, the Camino song, was released worldwide last week. It's available now on iTunes, via all streaming services, and via my website, danmullinsmusic.com. I wrote the song on the Camino last year, and it's a part of me now, in a way. I can't quite explain it, other than to say the song came to me on the Masetta and is now part of my life, or if you like, our lives. Now, my record company has told me not to put the song on my podcast because it will be ripped off and distributed once that happens. We've lost control of it forever. So here's a little taste. My Camino friend Bill Bennett shot the video for the song in Spain. It's available on YouTube and on danmullinsmusic.com as well. Somewhere along the way, the Camino song available now on iTunes and via all streaming services and danmullinsmusic.com. Now to this week's episode of My Camino, the podcast. Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to be with you. Each week I interview someone who has walked the Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrim trails 
across Europe. The Camino is known the world over as a spiritual and mystical adventure. It's a chance for people to really get away from it all. And I've interviewed people who've walked to get lost, to find themselves, to mourn, to celebrate, to commiserate. You don't have to go for any particular reason, but I firmly believe once you walk the Camino and you arrive in the square in Santiago, you'll have discovered why the Camino called you. There's an old saying, the Camino won't give you what you want, it will give you what you need. And life can be a tough old slog. We're battling around the clock to make ends meet, to meet deadlines, to answer emails, to stay in touch on social media, family commitments and careers. The list goes on and on. And it's why we crave a simpler life, a pilgrim's life. My quote this week is from an anonymous source. Sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, and sometimes in the middle of nowhere, you find yourself. My guest this week is the Australian pilgrim Dan Staines. Dan was a very, very good rugby league player. And if you're not familiar with the sport of rugby league, it's one of the top three sports in Australia. Indeed, Dan Staines played at the highest level. He played for his state, for Queensland, was picked for Australia. It's big time. And he's now a property developer and a real estate guru. Am I painting the picture here? This guy's busy. So let's find out how, when and why he chose to become a pilgrim. Dan Staines, welcome. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here, mate. It's one of my favourite topics, talking about the Camino. So tell us about your Camino. Mate, uh, it all started for me, uh, obviously, before I walked the Camino. Um, we, As a family, we'd always sit down and watch movies each week and uh, eat our popcorn and ice cream and that sort of stuff. And one of the movies we watched or we chose to watch was one called The Way um, with Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevev in it. And uh, it captivated me. It, it, uh, I'd never heard of it, um, but my partner at the time, she had, and... Uh, so she encouraged me to read some books on it. And, you know, once I got into it and learned a bit more about it, the history of it, I thought I've got to do that. So, uh, yeah, back in 2014, we embarked on our very first Camino, which uh, I'll have very fond memories about and love talking about to this day. Spain's a lot. We're, we're both from the same hometown, Toowoomba. And Spain's a long way from the Darling Downs. <laughs> Do you remember the light bulb moment when you thought, I'm going? Um, it was probably, after, you know, that I, it, it wasn't a light bulb moment as such. It was like a series of, of moments. Um, after I saw that movie, I thought, look, I really want to go. And then it was a matter of putting things in process. And at the time I had a business, um, the kids were just finishing school. Um, getting into into university, so uh, I still had a little bit on my hands to do there. Once I got the business sold, um, yeah, it just all happened, and, and then I realised, hey, we're on our way. So we booked our tickets and um, set off on probably the adventure of my life. Did you do a lot of preparation, Dan? We did, yes, absolutely. Um, at the time, I think you know we were practicing. We'd be walking twenty kilometres a day. Obviously, a lot of reading um, of what pre pilgrims previously had done and how they'd prepared themselves. Um, so, but as you know, um, Dan, you've done it yourself. No amount of reading and no amount of preparation can actually prepare you for it. Um, so, but luckily, we had done a bit of preparation. Our shoes were good. Um, 
you know, our packs were probably overweight, but, um, you know, we learned along the way to shed a lot of those, uh, a lot of those things. What about on the Camino itself? Were you a spreadsheet pilgrim? Like, did you know where you were going to stay? Had you booked ahead, all of that kind of thing? No, no, we winged it. But luckily for us, uh, the, the very first, the very first night, we were deciding whether to go from St Jean Pied the Port to all the way the twenty nine kilometres to Roncesvalles, or would we stay in Oris, the, the little uh, the little village eight kilometres in? I think it's is it called Orison. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, we end up leaving mid morning, I suppose, and thought we we'll we'll see how we feel. And we got the eight kilometres, which is pretty much straight up over the Pyrenees. And we got there, and we, it was about lunchtime. We thought, well, we'll stop and have lunch, have a drink, and see how we go. And we, we got into the little – it was basically just an alberge, but when we got in there, the place was rocking. There was probably about 30 other pilgrims there as well. Luckily for us, there was a room for the night, so we, we booked the room um, and then got into the party mode with the rest of the people there, and we met people from Ireland, people from uh, uh, the Netherlands, Alaska, Canada, people who we stayed with for the next couple of weeks and we just loved their company and we had so much fun and it really set the scene for the rest of our Camino. Some of those people had pre-planned and pre-booked ahead so they knew exactly where they are staying. But no, no, we didn't do any of that sort of stuff. We winged it as we went. How's the body these days? You copped a hammering playing 171st grade rugby league games. How did, how did you handle it? Mate, you know, it's all, almost for those people who, you know, talk about the pilgrim, pilgrimage or the commando being a spiritual journey. You know, I've always, uh, I grew up a, you know, a Catholic and um, so I've always had a bit of a spiritual side to me. Um, but six months before I was, you know, the flights were booked and everything to go, I hurt my hip and... Um, I went to the, my physio and he, he said to me, oh, mate, that sounds a little bit serious. You better go get an MRI just on the symptoms. And I went, got an MRI, and I sent the results to my uh, doctor who I used to deal with when I was at the Cronulla Sharks. He was a sporting doctor. So he got the results, and he's rung me straight away. And I've said to him, oh, you know, doc, you'll be able to get me booked into a surgeon down in Sydney. You know, it's a 12-week recovery and this sort of stuff. And he said to me, who told you it was a 12-week recovery? And I said, oh, the physio said, you know, he said, mate, you need a little bit more than, than what he's talking about. You would need actually a hip replacement. <gasps> I've gone, really? He's gone, yeah, yeah. So I've gone, whoa. But, mate, I, I decided then and there, or I don't know if I decided or someone decided for me, but I wanted to do this Camino. So I just I just decided, stuff it, I'm walking anyway. So I just started walking 20 I said to the physio, should I walk? And he said, oh, not very far, you know, a few k's a day. So I just started straight into a 20 k's a day. And you know what? The hip didn't give me a problem. And then, so uh, through the grace of God, got over to, uh, to France, did the Camino, and the hip never bothered me one bit until I got back. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's given me a little bit of problems now, so I'm going to have to make a decision on which way we go. But, I got through the Camino and um, had the time of my life. So, hey, so how old were you when you were told you needed a hip replacement? I was 
50. Mate, I was coming up to my 50th birthday, so I, I was, uh, like yourself, I, I did the Camino for my 50th birthday. And, um, uh, yeah, so nearly 50 years old. How do you explain to people what it's like on the Camino? Um, oh, mate, I just I, I share my experience. I just tell them I had the time of my life. I met people from all over the world. Would I do it again tomorrow? Absolutely. I wouldn't blink at all. In fact, I will be. I'll be doing it again at some stage. Um, I don't know when. But, um, yeah, mate, I just try and, try, and, try and tell them exactly the fun I had, all the people I met, all the ice cream you eat, all the vino tinto you drink each night um, with each meal. And, um, yeah, I saw I share my experience with them. Tell us about the three Ds. Because you and I are, are top-selling authors, you know. We were both <laughs> we both wrote chapters in Andrew Priestley's book, My Camino Walk Number One, and you talk about the three Ds, and I'd never heard of it heard it before. So tell us about it. Really, well, that's that's astounding. Well, um, well, when I was reading all the books in my preparation for the Camino, everyone said, "Oh, look, this eight hundred kilometers, you know, it's tough. You've you've got to really have a strong reason to do it, or you won't make it." So of course, I'm trying to create all these reasons in my head to do this Camino, but I just simply wanted to walk it. And in my, you know, ego-filled head and body, I thought, you know, I've been a professional sportsman and I'm, you know, I'm fit and I'm strong, I'm healthy, I'll be able to walk it on my ear. Um, so when I got over there, I never had a reason. I just wanted to do it. But everyone was talking about having a reason or a purpose to walk the Camino and, and three beautiful Irish ladies who I met on the first night in Orison, they were talking about the three Ds, you know. Everyone seems to be on this Camino. They were either in one of the three D categories. And I said, well, what's the three Ds? And they said, well, they're either divorced, they're either depressed, or they need it for their diet. And I thought, that's pretty smart. And, um, and when I looked around at all the people on this Camino, they seem to fit in one of those three D categories, and I thought that's very apt and very clever. You're so, either divorced, uh, yeah, that's where the three Ds. Yeah, you're divorced, you're depressed, or you're doing it for your diet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, one of the mate, things yeah. we both know, right? The food's so good, it's not really very good for your diet. <laughs> oh, exactly, mate. It's funny. Everyone I spoke to, particularly a couple of beautiful uh, ladies who were on it with from Canada, our air hostesses, and. And they were just so funny. And they'd say, oh, well, you know, they, they, they'd say, you, everyone says you can only carry 10K or your body weight on your back. And one of the ladies, she's a little petite 60KG air hostess from Canada. And she's, her pack was weighing 15KGs because it all had all the beauty products and a, and a hair and a comb and brushes and things. And she says, what do you do? I'm a lady, you know? So, uh, yeah, so that was her story, mate. So she carried 15 kilos. She did, yeah, she did. Uh, I, I, I think I carried twelve because, you know, being a sportsman, I had to have my protein meals in for each morning before I set off and all that sort of stuff. That was a mistake <laughs> because you said the food, the food was beautiful and it was plentiful, and um, yeah, you didn't want for anything, mate. You know, in your piece in in Andrew Priestley's book, My Camino Walk Number One. You finished by saying, being a professional athlete in a previous life doesn't make you better equipped to handle what the Camino will throw at you. The body cannot carry the extra weight of an individual's ego. You must unpack it before you leave home. 
Each day is precious and each day is different. You don't know what your body or mind will require tomorrow. What worked last week or yesterday won't necessarily work today because today is different. I thought that was a really lovely passage of prose because you summed up for me there what is very important. When you leave your ego at home, you're entitled to walk the Camino. We wear the same clothes every day. You're sleeping in a room with 20 other people. You leave a lot of baggage at home, don't you, Dan? Well, man, it's it's hundred percent it, right, and I didn't realise until I was until I was actually on the Camino. You know that uh, I've, I've been aware of my ego, um, and I'm slowly dismantling it. But um, it, the Camino doesn't discriminate, mate. You know, I was over there thinking I was uh, a great athlete, and you know, walked the eight hundred k's on my ear. It was tough, and I was struggling, and there was days where I was thinking, "Gee, I wish I wasn't here." And yet there'd be 70-year-old women walking the Camino and seemed to be having the time of their lives and didn't seem to be in the same pain that I was in. And I'm thinking, wow, isn't that interesting? You know, they obviously had no ego about them, so they did what they had to do each day. Um, where here am I trying to keep up with somebody else and trying to be at some destination by some certain preconceived time. Um so really, you do need to unpack your ego. You can't, you can't have preconceived thoughts or plans of, of what you're going to do each day. You've just got to do what has to be done on that day. But that can be said of everyday life, surely. Don't have to be well, on the I Camino. And I think that's a beautiful lesson that I learned from the Camino, you know, and, and particularly coming from professional sports where, where, uh, you, you, you know, you have a short time span and then you've got to transition into into life, into normal life. And it's only the the very small percentage who transition straight into a media, highly paid media job. Um, whereas if you're like me, uh, a middle of the road plugger, mate, you've got to go back onto the tools or, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a trade, get back into whatever you could do previously. Or if you're like me, um, you've got to start a new career, mate, and 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 you can't afford to be living off what your footy career was because, you know, what worked for me five years ago, or in my case, 25 years ago, about that now, um, it's not going to pay the bills or put food on the table. I have to do what I have to do now. Yeah, and so so let me just ask you how does the Camino then manifest itself in, in your everyday life, do you think? Well, mate, it's just about being present. It's about being, um, about being present. And what I found was the people who weren't in pain each day, they were truly present. You know, they weren't wishing for the end of the day. They weren't wishing to be at a certain place by a certain time. They were just simply enjoying each um, each moment they're on, or as Bob Dylan uh, so aptly says in his song Forever Young, you know, climb on, may you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung uh, and may you stay forever young. And I think that's, I think that sums up the Camino. It's about simply, um, you know, building that ladder, but walking each step and for what each step presents and enjoying each step and be, being forever grateful for each step and, 
and thankful for whatever it is, whatever that is. That's an awesome answer. What's the best thing about being a pilgrim, do you think, Dan? Mate, I think you summed it up in the beginning, the simplicity, um, not having to be anything. Um, you know, coming from a professional sporting life, you've, you've, you've always got a facade on. Um, but when you're over in, in, uh, in France, in Spain, nobody knows you. Nobody cares what you did previously. Um, you can be, you're free to be anything that you want to be. You know, I, I often say, very, very rarely do you hear someone say on the Camino, what do you do for a living? Because you're all pilgrims, right? You're all wearing the same clothes, sleeping in this. It doesn't matter what you do when you're a pilgrim. Very true. Yeah, very, very true. And um, yeah, that could be, and it really doesn't matter what anybody does. You know, that's another lesson that I'm learning in life. You know, um, you know whether you're a, a stop and go man or a highly paid lawyer, your worth and your value is still the same as long as you believe it is. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a really valuable lesson to bring home with you too, isn't it? As you you enter into your post-Camino life. And a lot of people say that your Camino begins when you get to Santiago. And there can be a lot of truth in that too. Hey, Dan. Oh, mate, what I've found, the Camino is just a micronism of life. You know, they, um, you know, people say, oh, what are the people like on the Camino? Well, it's no different to the community you live in. You've got 99% of the people are just wonderful, fabulous people. Um, you've got a small percentage who, who may want to take advantage of, of the generosity of the pilgrims. And then you have another small percentage who are, who are angry. Um, so it's no different to community. It's just, a, as you said, a, 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 a small part of life or a snippet of life. Yeah, Let's go back to the Camino for a minute. And you mentioned, I just want to go through some practicalities because there will be people listening to us, um, a couple of old Toowoomba boys having a yarn and wondering whether they can or could walk the Camino. How heavy was your pack again? You told us. How heavy? Mate, it, it was close to 15 kgs because I had mine loaded up. Well, I got one that was too big for a for a start, I think it weighed about three kgs on its on its own empty, and then of course I loaded it up with um, so-called things I needed, you know, my reading book, my iPad, and um, my iPhone, and uh, and then protein powders, of course, that I had to start the day with. Um, and I think I probably I, I, pro I probably had you know four or five kgs of that in there initially as well. So uh, that weighed things down. So, mate, I wouldn't recommend, you know, if I was to do it again, the bit of advice I would do would be just to carry the bare essentials. Everything's available um, on the track. Um, you don't need to, to carry food. You can buy food there. Um, you, you, you don't need a pillow. You don't need extra bedding like a power rollout pad. Um, so you just take a very light sleeping bag um, and... You know, uh, uh, just to change your clothes because you're washing, you wash every day. So you just need to change your clothes, really, and um, a sleeping bag. Yeah. And and so do you remember how, what the capacity, like in terms of literage, the, the capacity of the bag you took? 
Is it? A, I think it was a seventy-five liter. Gee, that's a um, big. That, that's a big backpack, mate. It was. A, it was like a uh, a backpack with a little baby backpack on the back of it. So my backpack, you could clip another backpack to it, which I had full of my so-called medical supplies, which <laughs> you think you'd need as well, you know. But as I said, like every town has its own little medical um, pharmaceutical shop in it, or most of the bigger ones do. So you really didn't need, and every pilgrim there has their own tape, you know. So if you needed tape for blisters and things like that, they, everyone was so giving um, on the Camino. So you'd never want for anything. So there was, it was just so unnecessary to carry, carry all that extra baggage. Yeah, and there's there's a metaphor for life in there as well, isn't there? We probably carry too much baggage with us in life. Oh, mate, we take out so much insurance, which is just unnecessary. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That's so true. What type of shoes did you wear, Dan? They were hiking boots. Um, the brand themselves, I'm just trying to think what... Oh, they were, they were, I think... Um, Zimbaland or something like that. And they were a hiking shoe bought through one of the hiking shops. But the, the, the Alaskan people who were on it with um, Robin and uh, Kevin, they they just had simple Dunlops. And, mate, you know, just, oh, that's all I would have. That's all, If I was to do it again, you don't need these uh, high ankle um, hiking boots. Just simple, uh, you know, good supporting joggers. Um, so if I was to do it again, I, I, I'd just get my ASICs or my uh, um, Brooks or something, good trainers that give you good support and um, are soft on your feet and easy on your feet. Yeah, they're much lighter too, aren't they? 100% much lighter, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, no matter how well you're prepared, as I said, I was walking 20, 25 Ks most days in preparation, but still... That first seven to ten days of the walk, I, I started, you know, to develop some repetitive strain injuries in my legs, and um, I think about three weeks into the walk, I definitely developed tendonitis in my shins, and I saw that that was pretty prevalent in a lot of pilgrims, just from the simple up and down motion of the foot, um, walking up and down. So yeah, you want to keep your feet light. Um, and probably not overwalk each day as well. Did you carry sticks? Did you use walking sticks? I did. Mate, I'd never seen them or heard of them before, the Camino, but um, I got a pair, and I'd highly recommend, yeah, the, mate, I try not to call them walking sticks at my age. I call them walking poles. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. So, yeah, I'd, I'd use the walking poles. I still got them, maybe. So when I do... Do walk the Camino again, Dan. I'll be taking the poles. Did you get blisters? I didn't get blisters, no. Um, but, gee whiz, a lot of them, a lot of people did get blisters. So I think that's part of the preparation, you know, walking, making sure your shoes are worn in, making sure your gait and everything is um, is in a straight line. Um, preparing the best you can, I think, you know, with your shoes and and doing it, trying not to prepare on the Camino, try and prepare a little bit before you get get on it. How did you find the albergues? What did you make of them? 
pleasantly, I was surprised. Um, I didn't have any. I think one of them may have been a little bit old. I never got bed bugs, but I did hear of a couple of pilgrims getting bed bugs, but I never experienced that. All of, all of my albergos were, very, were great, and a couple were extra special, um, you know, with their little rituals and uh, little routines that they had made them extra special. I think if I was to do it again, Dan, I would read up on on the on the albergues or the albergue, however you pronounce it, just to find the ones that give the best experience because some of them have their like little witchcraft sessions where they all sit around a, around a campfire or around a, a, a fire and, and tell stories and then uh, have little prayers and uh, have their own little sort of um, rituals, I suppose. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's great advice because... If you do a little bit of research, you will find those wonderful places. There's no doubt about that. Because you come home and people say, oh, did you stay in that one? You think, oh, no, I just stayed in the one in the middle of town. I just pulled up, went to the first one I saw. And then you, they say, oh, we stayed at this place yesterday. It had a swimming pool and a masseur. And you think, what? I was, up the, exactly. I, was up, I was up the street in some skanky place with 25 people and two German snorers. Uh, <laughs> oh, mate. How, how common were the well, well, snorers? One of the old gentlemen from the Netherlands, Angel, his name is, and uh, or Angel, we used to call him because he's a beautiful man. Well, he, he being Dutch, he couldn't pronounce a lot of words, so he would say, "And I was snurking very loudly." <laughs> you know, so he called it snurking. So whenever you talk about snoring, I think of snurking. I think of Angel and snurking. Look, we we had this German gentleman, and he was a lovely human being, but. Uh, for the for, he, we sort of lost him after about two weeks, thank goodness. But I, I, I don't know what every time I arrived, he would be standing in the queue, two people ahead of me, and I'd think, oh no, oh, he would he could snore for Germany. He was a gold medalist. It was insanity. I mean, it was just oh. ridiculous. And then he'd get up at five o'clock and he'd have the most wonderful night's sleep, you know. And everybody else would be looking at him, thinking, you know. But anyway, that's part and parcel of it all. Let's let me take you back and drop you in in one place. Where was a favourite place on the Camino? Well, I'd have to say that first night in Orissant, the uh, at the Elbergia, eight kilometres in, where we where we met all these wonderful people who we shared the next two weeks with. Um, we just had so much fun. Uh, we were playing drinking games and telling our stories and and um, yeah, reliving old stories and telling our dreams and all that sort of stuff. So meeting those people who was who I've got to say I'm still friends with today. Who and I still we've got our own little Camino group on Facebook and and uh, of course when I uh, thought about writing that chapter for my Camino way walk, um, I uh, put out the message to all these people and of course they supported the book and and helped share some old stories with me as well. Tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela. Mate, that was like, um, it was like, like, I was lucky enough to play State of Origin and, um, you know, in my first series in back in 89, we won 3-0 against the Jack Gibson coach, New South Wales team. And, um, you know, everyone expected, and me included, that was my first series and the highlight of my life at that time. And 
I'm thinking, well, we're going to party hard after after this uh, series win. Um, but mate, it was a you know it was a bit of a I suppose a bit of a, a what some people may call a bit of a downer because all I wanted to do was just sit back and soak up the glory of it and not necessarily share it with anyone. And to me, arriving in so when I arrived in Santiago, I didn't have any expectations of all you know, stars and stripes, whereas my partner at the time, she did. And it was a real downer for her. So she couldn't understand or comprehend those feelings where, to me, I'd, I had experienced that um, through my footy career. So, but, mate, I remember walking because what we what we did was we, the night before, we arrived 10 kilometres out from San Diego and we'd planned to get up really early and, and arrive on daylight. Um, so... I remember walking into town and, and thinking, is that the steeple of the church? Because the first thing I saw was the steeple of the church. And, and I'm guessing, is that the church? And it turned out to be the church and just the excitement. And I think it was probably more, I was more excited because I was relieved that I'd finally made this 800 kilometres than for any other reason than thinking, I've done it. I've achieved it. How long did you stay in Santiago? Um, three days, three days. So, uh, yeah, we just, you know, cause at the time there was back in 2014, I think it was like the 500th or the 600th anniversary of the, of the church, which was next to, uh, the, the main church in San Diego or the, the, the Caminos church. Um, I'm just trying to think of the name of it now, but it was a, it's a very historic church as well. So. We had to celebrate that there and um, and see the different sites around Santiago as well. So we were there three days. And it's a it's a beautiful place, isn't it? Um, and I imagine, Dan, that wandering around over the next three days, you would have run into heaps of people that you had run into on the Camino. That would have been beautiful. Mate, that was, that's, you know, when you talk about the highlight, um, obviously that first night in Orissant was a highlight, but um, I think the second night, in Santiago was we re-met up with all those uh, pilgrims who had met on the way and we all had a big communal a communal dinner together and that was that was a lot of fun you know we just uh I suppose retold our stories and and uh yeah and set our sights on the next adventure (laughs) it's right how do you explain the Camino to people who ask you about it Well, I, well, I suppose I, I put it up. I'll unashamedly say it's probably the the second highlight of my life. Obviously, the birth of my sons and seeing them grow into the men that they've grown into, which is which is really the highlight of my life. Walking that Camino um, at the time was better than winning State of Origin, believe it or not. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. So. That's how I tell. I say it was. It was as good, if not better, than than playing State of Origin under my childhood hero Arthur Beetson. If you're listening from overseas, you're not Australian. Um, what Dan's talking about when he talks about State of Origin is the epitome of sport in Australia. So it's a rugby league uh, state against state, and it is the epitome of sport in Australia. And and the rivalry is so fierce. It is 
number one sporting event in the Australian calendar. So for you to say that winning State of Origin for Queensland is number two behind the Camino, that is really something, Dan. That is, that's massive. Mate, you know, before the Camino, I would have never have thought that. But uh, it was just, uh, just a, a fantastic experience. Obviously, it's tough. And I think that that's probably what enhances the experience, to be able to say you've actually walked the 800 kilometres. But you can't put into words why it is, other than to say maybe it's, it's what Shirley MacLaine says in her book. Maybe it does um, follow the energy meridians of the earth, which is why it revitalises and re-energises people who may be a little depressed or uncertain of their direction in life, and maybe it does help give a little bit of clarity to people. Yeah, because I, I I went back a year after I did the first time. I could not get it out of my my mind. I, I couldn't get it out of my head. I still can't. And it's calling me back all the time. Do you still hear the calling? Oh, 100%. 100%. That, it's definitely on my list of things to do again. I, I want to do that as well as, um, you know, go and visit all the people who I met on the Camino in Alaska and Ireland and in the Netherlands I, and Canada, I, I want to go and visit those people as well. So maybe that's part of the, the Camino calling as well. So what advice would you give somebody who is thinking of going to the Camino? Do it. Nothing other than just to do it. And, and obviously um, find out as much as you can about it so you're prepared the best you can be. Um, and listen to people, but only take that advice if it feels right for you. Yeah, yeah, because you will do a lot of finding, won't you? You'll you'll do a lot of of discovery, both both in a in a practical sense, but also Dan in a personal and emotional sense, won't you? Well, you know, we we as human beings, we are obviously physical. Uh, and, and we're spiritual beings as well. Um, so, yeah, you're going to learn learn a lot about yourself, um, both physically, mentally, and emotionally, or spiritually. Yeah, I, it, it, that's the most exciting part about it. Yeah, it is, mate. And as you said, um, it, it, it probably is the beginning of your Camino or your journey for the rest of your life because, you know, we start to... You know, on a long walk, when you're walking 20 or 30 k's each day, you've got a lot of time to think to yourself, and it certainly does um, create um, and stimulate thought. And when you're around a lot of spiritual people, obviously that um, energises that part of your body as well and, and maybe makes you question yourself a little bit if you weren't that way inclined before. Um, so yeah, and then as you as you mentioned before, that that may, that may be why your Camino starts when you get back from your Camino. Yeah, that's right. I, I from time to time give little talks or at Camino forums and 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 festivals and what have you, and I, I think that's the overwhelming feedback I get, and indeed from these podcasts, is that people cling to the Camino and that Camino flame burns in their heart is because they want to maintain the simplicity that they learned on the Camino. They want a much simpler life. They want a pilgrim's life. And, and it's not easy though. Hey, it's, 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 
we're, we're busy people. It's, it's not easy to maintain it, is it, Dan? <laughs> it's not easy to maintain, but you've, you've probably stimulated a question or a thought in my mind, you know, uh, it, about the ego as well. We have to be careful not to let the Camino um, take over our lives as well because um, uh, it can be a little bit like religion. Because um, one thing I did notice when I was preparing for the Camino, I'd, I'd read as much as I could and I'd go to these forums and I noticed a lot of people there were clinging to the Camino like it was their baby. And I'm thinking, well, you're not even on it anymore. You know, maybe it's time to let it go. So I think um, like religion, um, it's a it's a signpost to God, but it's not God. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to understand that uh, while the Camino is attractive and beautiful and it's awesome to do, um, we've still got a life to live and, and, and that is whatever it is for you. Yeah, wow, what a fantastic answer. Man, you've done some thinking. <laughs> Man, I've done some thinking here. I hope I haven't, uh, I hope I haven't um, overcomplicated things for people or... Um, made me sound a bit weird because... Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. don't want to come across as that. Not at all. Look, before we finish, I, I often ask this question, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, well, obviously, the people who are listening to you, Dan, and listening to us are keen to walk the Camino and probably preparing to walk the Camino or have, have walked the Camino. So uh, I, I would just say, go and just do it. As Nike would say, do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, just a couple of old Toowoomba boys sharing a yarn. Mate, I've, I've got to say, Dan, um, and for the listeners out there, uh, I went to a school in Toowoomba called Centenary Heights, and, and the deputy principal at the time was a fellow by the name of um, Mr. Mullins. And I, was it Bill? What was his name, Bill Mullins? Ray. Ray Mullins, yeah. Well, Mr. Mullins was my... Uh, was my deputy, and I wasn't aware that he was your dad. So, um, is he still alive today? No, we lost him a couple of years ago. He, um, I, I, I look, uh, again, without boring people, I don't want to sound, make people sad, but mate, I grew, my dad passed away when I was three years old, and so I grew up with, you know, six kids in the family and mum raising us, and, and I was a bit of a troubled soul, I suppose, at school, but uh, Mr. Mullins and the administration staff certainly helped me through through a very difficult period in my life, mate. So I've got a lot to thank to your dad and all the other people who are at Centenary Heights. That's fantastic, Dan. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, he was a beautiful man and we miss him every single day. Yeah, I can imagine you would, mate. Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, thanks, thanks for having me on today, mate. I've loved every minute of it. Always loved talking about the Camino. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your company, and I look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Well, I hope so, mate. I hope, um, you know, maybe there's a, a Camino powwow or get-together at some stage, mate. <laughs> well, let's, why don't we put it on? Yeah, mate, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in that for sure. Right on. It's a deal. Listen, Dan. Good on you, mate. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. <laughs> All the best. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, mate. Good talking to you. My guest this week, the Australian pilgrim, Dan Staines. Dan played rugby league at the very top level in Australia. And what I didn't say, I've now said goodbye to Dan 
at the end of the interview, what I didn't say was, my father was extremely proud of Dan Staines. I began the podcast saying we live such busy lives. It's no wonder we crave a simpler life, a pilgrim's life. And my quote this week was from an anonymous source. Sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, and sometimes in the middle of nowhere you find yourself. I can hear the Camino calling. <laughs> I'm Dan Mullins. Until next week, Buen Camino. Mm -hmm.